uh, we're in week two, just of our two-week uh, series going through our core values. And so every year we spend a couple weeks going through our core values, what matters to us, what dictates our decisions and thoughts and how we see scripture and how we see church. And so we've got four core values, down, up, in, and out. Down is the gospel that Jesus came down for us. We couldn't make our way up to him. He came down to us first. Up is formation, that Jesus forms us and makes us more like himself with his character and his desires. In is that we're brought in to a, a family, right? It's not just like a religious affiliation, but a true family of brothers and sisters that we get to belong together. And out is mission, right? We're actually called to go on mission like Jesus went on mission for us. So those are our four core values. And uh, last week, Ricky did down and up and did a phenomenal job. And this week, we get to look at in and out. And so really excited for it. Like what was just read, we'll be in John chapter 17, so you can up, open up your Bibles there. As you're going there, just show a hands. I know this might be kind of a bittersweet question, but raise your hand if you just say, man, I love the Huskers. Like, I love Husker football. Like, raise your hand. Large majority. Thank you. For those of you that didn't raise your hand, love you, praying for you. Uh, but, but anyways, hey, uh, uh, imagine, imagine this. So we've got Scott Frost now, right? He won Coach of the Year Award. Yeah, we're excited about that. Uh, he hired back Ron Brown. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. Okay, I love Ron Brown. Uh, man, he's re- heavily recruited talent from all over the nation. We got an amazing team. Millions of dollars are pumped into the Husker program, right? They're training every day. They've got good systems in place. They're eating right. They're a smooth running machine. They know all the strategies everything is set up for them to go out, compete, and win, right? But what if game day came around and they just decided, you know what, let's just, let's just practice again. Let's like not show up to the game. Let's just practice again and not play, right? We'd be like, what the heck is going on? And, and then the next week, they just did the same thing, right? Like they had all the strategy. They watched the film. They practiced together. They bonded as a team. They knew how to go out and compete. But they decided, hey, let's just hang out and do another practice, like, let's, let's, just, let's just practice again. Let's just bond a little bit more as a team, but they never actually went out and played the game. We, it would make no sense to us, right? It's a lot like what happened last night. We're like, we want the game, you know? We don't want you guys to practice. We want the game. And, 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 and so it just would be absurd, right? Nebraska would just go into an outrage, like what's happening right now. Nonetheless, and uh, by the way, this intro, this whole this, like, thought on like game day versus practice, literally we could go decide on this. So this is you know, sovereign of God to bring that up last night, because we know how it feels. He allowed you guys to empathize. What's it feel like to have a team that practices but doesn't actually play? So anyways, as absurd as that sounds, to just practice and never get in the game, never actually play a game, we do it all the time. We're, we're, every single one of us are guilty of it, right? Like we, we, we do, we, 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 we go to church, we strategize, we learn, we've got an amazing team, look around, but game day comes around and we opt for another practice, right? I mean, we, we gather in city groups, and we learn about mission, and how to love people, and how to go out, but then an opportunity actually comes for us to be on mission, and we're like, actually, it sounds pretty enticing to just study a little bit more on how to be on mission, right? We, 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 we just, we don't always go in the game. We just try to opt out for another practice. Let's bond a little bit more. Let's study a little bit more. Let's strategize a little bit more, and as we look at our core value of in this morning, we can often think that community is the point of community, right? The community is an end in and of itself, that that's the goal. But this morning, I want us to help us answer the question, what is the purpose of community? Like, what's the actual purpose of community? And this entire sermon can be summed up by one sentence, Jesus brings us in to send us out. Okay, Jesus brings us in to send us out. And so you can open up John 17. We'll just read verse 13 first and look at our first point. Verse 13, Jesus says, 
But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So my first point is the products of in. The products of in. Now, throughout my life, I've been in different communities that have produced different things. And so I played football in high school, and um, that produced diligence and hard work and, and a camaraderie with other men, right? I worked at Sandoz Publishing for a couple years, and that produced good sales tips and a lot of travel experience. Um, and I'm sure that you can think back to different communities that you've been in that have produced different things, right? Every community we're in produces something. And so um, we have to ask the question, is the Christian community any different? right? It has to produce something, but what does it produce? And among the long, beautiful list of things that our community produces, I think there's three things that stick out in our text this morning. And so we'll jump in. These are my subpoints for the first one. But uh, my first kind of subpoint, the first product, is a family that reminds each other of Jesus's truth. A family that reminds each other of Jesus's truth. Now, to get some context on these verses, this whole chapter is Jesus' prayer to his Father, okay? This is before he leaves his disciples and goes to the cross to pay for our sins, right? Um, and so we get to get a sneak peek into what really matters to Jesus, like what he really cares about. And if you look back in the last couple chapters, Jesus repeatedly says, I've said these things. Like that's just like his tagline, like I've said these things. And then it usually follows by why he said these things, Okay. And then it happens again in verse 13. He says, man, I've spoken these things. And, uh, and so we have to question, what, we have to ask, what are these things that Jesus is referring to? Long story short, these things are what Jesus has spoken about until now. Okay, these things is like kind of everything that Jesus has spoken. And so in chapters 14 through 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples for when he goes, right? And he's just saying, man, this isn't always going to be easy. The Christian life isn't all butterflies and rainbows. It's difficult and challenging. But then in John 16, Jesus says, you will have tribulation in this world, but take heart. I've overcome this world right? Like this, there's, there's this, this glorious kind of promise, no matter what comes our way, no matter how difficult life is, we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. He's sovereign and ruling and reigning, and we have hope. These are the things that Jesus is talking about. These are the these things, all the glorious and profound promises of God. And then Jesus finishes thir- verse 13 by saying that he's spoken these things so that his joy may be fulfilled in us. His joy may be in us. So these things, these promises that Jesus has spoken, everything he said thus far, these things should produce joy in us, right? It's glorious and it's joyful. But here's the problem. As we look around, we're thinking, man, I'm quick to forget what Jesus said, right? Like I'm, I'm really quick to just either, either forget or not remember or not choose to believe what Jesus said. And this is where the beauty of community comes in, right? Because we get to remind each other of these things. We get to point each other to the joyful truths of Jesus. Man, I can't tell you guys how often I've called Mo and just said, dude, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. I feel pretty down right now. And he's like, dude, you're believing a lie. Like, that's, that's wrong. Uh, God doesn't primarily see you as a worker for him. He primarily sees you as a son. This church doesn't love you because you have something to offer them. They just love you because they love you, you know? It just reminds me of truth in the midst of others. I have about five men in my life that know every single detail of my life, the most darkest sins, my most darkest desires, and they constantly speak truth into my life. They constantly point me to Jesus. When I, when I don't want to remember or I can't remember, they remind me of Jesus' truth. Um, 
And I love my city group. Uh, I've got several of you guys in here, and, and you know that there's just this authenticity and this honesty in our group that says, man, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I need to tell you this is how I feel. And we sit, and we listen, and we ask questions to better understand, and then we speak the truth of the gospel into them, right? We speak the good news of Jesus into them. And this is a really big distinction, City Light. We are not primarily a good advice culture. We're a good news family. Okay, good advice is important, but it has to be motivated. It has to be thrusted by the good news of Jesus. And so what that means is the people around you, what they primarily need isn't five steps on how to kill that sin. What they first need isn't your opinion or isn't a self-help book or, or, or any of those things. What they primarily need is the gospel of Jesus, right? That they are loved infinitely. That Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That Romans 8, 38 and 39, there's nothing that could separate you from the love of God, right? That's what we need primarily. Good advice is good, but it has to be fueled by the good news. That's our lead foot, good news. Um, and, and this is so important for us to, um, to understand. And this is one of the reasons, this reminding each other of truth, the gospel reality, this is why it's so important for us to actually know our Bibles, right? Like if you don't know the truths of Jesus, how could you remind somebody of it? If you're not fluent in the gospel, if you haven't understood the, the promises of Jesus, then you're, you're unable to actually communicate those promises to someone else when they need it. So we need to learn to read and love our Bibles. It's going to be so helpful as a tool to encourage ourselves, but also the people around us when they're struggling. So City Light, let's be a family that reminds each other of Jesus' truth. Amen? And then we got verse 14. Jesus says, um, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Okay, second product of community. Um, we're a family that relates to one another. So we're a family that reminds each other, but we're also a family that relates to one another. So you guys are going to love this. When I, was in fresh, <laughs> when I was a freshman in high school, uh, I'd get picked on every once in a while because I wasn't very tall. Okay? I was even shorter than I am now. Okay? It's hard to believe. But you know what? I'm never going to escape those jokes. I've just accepted it um, unless God gives me a growth spurt, which y'all can be praying. Okay? Hashtag miracles happen. All right? I'm still holding on to hope. You know, my mom's 5'10". And so anyways, um, Jesus, give me that height. But anyways, um, so I'd get kind of picked on and people would make fun of or just kind of joke around with me about me being short. That was kind of the, that was kind of the thing. And then I met another guy that was the same height as me. And, uh, I, and we just became instantly best friends because he knew what it felt like to be made fun of for, for your height, right? And uh, over a decade later, he works on staff of the church. He's one of my best friends, and he's like a national champion wrestler. So come on, try and pick on us. You know, like you want to mess with short people? I got Nate. You know, like he will take you down. And so, so there, was this, there was this beautiful thing that happened between Nate and I that we knew we, we could empathize with each other. And has that ever happened to you? Where someone that you know has gone through a similar, struggle, a similar struggle that you've been through, and you just instantly feel bonded. Like someone that's been through some hard things, the similar things that you've been through, and you just feel a sense of connection with them just because of a shared experience or, or a common empathy, right? This is, this is what happens. Jesus is reminding us that every single Christian has a common enemy. Every single Christian has a common bully that wants nothing but death and, 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 and destruction for them, right? He's reminding us of this commonality. And so we don't have to hide in the corner feeling isolated like no one knows how we feel. No, we have an entire family that can relate to us. A common family that's being tempted like we're being tempted. A common family that's being tried and pushed in like we're being tried and pushed in. We have an entire fa uh, family of people that are going through the same things that we're going through. We can relate to one another. 
And then Jesus says that we're not of this world, right, um, just as he's not of the world. And so he's giving this, this, this polarization with two different options. You're either of the world or you're not of the world. And so everyone, all of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, we're not of this world. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven, right? We belong to heaven. That's glorious. Everyone that hasn't trusted in Jesus is a citizen of this fading, futile world, right? That's the polarization. You're either of the world or you're not of the world. And if you're of this world, well, you're going to look for, you're going to have desires of this world. You're going to have passions of this world. You're going to follow and look a lot like this world. But if you're not of this world, you're going to know that this world doesn't have anything to offer. Like it's the satisfaction, that last thing in this world. Jesus is the only place to get that. And you can start to see where the tension comes in, right? Where we start to kind of butt heads and the distinction starts to come in. We have different kingdoms with different desires. City Light, the world thinks it's absolutely crazy to wait to have sex until marriage. Or to wait to live together until you get married. The world thinks it's, it's foolish to give money to the church, to give 10% or more or whatever to the church. They say, no, you worked hard for that. You should keep that and put it to retirement. The world thinks that's, that's foolish. The world thinks it's archaic to read a book, assuming if it's thousands of year, years old, to read this as the word, word of God. The world thinks this is absolutely foolish and archaic. The world thinks it's irrational to believe that God came down as a man and he died for your sins and he resurrected. What do you, that's, no, that's, that's irrational to think. The world thinks it's stupid when we get together and we confess that we're broken and needy and messy and we need a savior, right? We, the world is so different than Jesus' kingdom. And, and you know this, I, 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 this is all common. The world is constantly pushing in on us. Is it not? Like the world is relentlessly begging us to give in, to loosen our convictions, to spend the way the world spends, to think the way the world thinks, to strive the way the world strives, to treat people the way the world treats people. And it's hard, isn't it? Like it's difficult to stand firm. Your neighbor gets a nicer grill and asks, why haven't you upgraded yet? Your, your, your friend asks you, why aren't you sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend? That doesn't make any sense. Right? The, the world presses in. Your coworker sends you an inappropriate email. I don't know what it is, but the world is constantly pushing in. And I had a job in college, and a bunch of the guys invited me to go to a strip club. And I was like, no, no, no thank you. And they, they laughed at me and asked me why. And I told them that those women are for, far more valuable than what they look like. Like, that's like their value isn't attached to what they look like. And I told them, man, Jesus sees those women as his beautiful creations. And I don't want to obscure that or objectify them. I want to see them the way Jesus sees them. I thought it was a clear and compelling argument, and they just laughed at my face. And I called my friend afterwards, super discouraged. You know, I mean, there's, there's 10 plus dudes that are just like, Austin, you're, dude, that's so foolish, man. And I called him, and I'm like, man, I just feel super discouraged on my way home from work. And he literally reads John 17, this verse over me. You're not of this world, Austin. And the world will hate you, and you won't make sense to this world. And then he, rela- and he related. He had a similar story a week ago. And, and so he, he, he related to me, and he reminded me of the truth, and I'm not of this world. And so City Light, please don't be surprised when the world hates you. Don't be surprised when your life doesn't look like the world and the world doesn't understand you. In fact, if your life doesn't look any different than your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, you should take an honest assessment of your life. But no matter how hard we get pushed around by the world, we have this community that can relate to one another. People of a family that can say, I know how you feel. A group of people that are suffering like you, that are struggling like you, that are striving towards Jesus like you, a family of people that's hated by the world, a family of people that are going against the grain of this world. 
City Light, we're not isolated in our struggles. We are intrinsically connected through our Savior, right? And then we get verses 15 through 16. Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And so the last product of in is a family that resists sin together. So we remind each other, we relate to one another, and we resist sin together. And, man, I kind of wish that Jesus would have prayed that we'd be taken out of the world. Like, I just got to be honest. It sounds pretty nice, right? Like, we're all of us that are believers are kind of on this, like, tropical island, you know? And uh, we're just kind of hanging out like Brett's playing guitar, leading us in worship. Ricky's, like, doing a workout, teaching us how to get fit, right? You've got uh, Mercedes is teaching the kids how to dance. Uh, Eric is, is teaching us how to memorize scripture. Moe's in the corner reading, like, a, a book from theologians in the 1600s, I, I, you know? Uh, Jason Banks is just beating everybody in spike ball. Tish is, Tish is making her famous guacamole. Michaela Bradley's teaching surfing lessons. And I'm just trying to make people laugh. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, like, eating donuts, making people laugh. And so, uh, anyway, it's just like, like, that sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Like, just to be in this collective family of, of people. There's no one trying to tempt us. There's no over-revealing billboard. There's no inappropriate TV shows. There's no comparison on who's got a bigger house. It's just a family of close-knit believers that just push each other towards Jesus. There's no outside infiltration trying to tempt us. It sounds pretty nice, right? But that's not what Jesus prays for. He says, I'm not praying that you take them from the world, but I'm praying that you keep them from the evil one when they're in the world. Right, I pray them that you keep. I pray that for that, that you keep them from the evil one. They'll be in the world. So, uh, just to give you Caleb's encouraging wor- word of the week, uh, <laughs> you are hated by the world, and there's an enemy that's out to get you. You know, congratulations, see, amen. Be encouraged. You know, like, <laughs> like, where's the good news, Jesus? Where's, where's the joy that you talked about in verse 13? This doesn't seem joyful to have a common enemy that hates us, to have a, a, a world that's against us, and, and we feel like we're just constantly struggling together. Well, here's the good news, City Light. Jesus Christ died to reconcile us back to God. And so on the cross and out of the grave, Jesus proved that he is victorious, right? The battle is won. There is an evil one that wants to tempt us, but Jesus, uh, it will keep us and hold us forever. We cannot be taken from the hands of Jesus. There is a world that hates us, that's against us, but Jesus has overcome the world. And there is a real battle going on, but we get to stand together hand in hand and stand against the schemes of the devil. Amen? We, we have, it's hard news, but we've got good news in this family and in Jesus holding on to us, God will faithfully keep you. God will faithfully hold on to you. And one of the ways he does that is through community. One of the primary ways he holds on to us and keeps us from sin is through community, right? We get to resist the evil one together. There are several engaged couples in my city group uh, that text each other about every single day. Hey, how are you doing? Are you guys pursuing purity? Are you, are you honoring each other? Are you pushing each other towards Jesus? There's men, married men in my city group that text each other, hey, man, have you taken your wife out on a date this week? Have you honored her? Have you pursued her? Have you been intentional with her? The women in my group are so quick to confess sin and hold each other accountable and reading the Bible. Together. I mean, it's just this amazing aspect, right? And, and our city group isn't just a group that meets together and just acts like everything's okay. Like we're honest and authentic. We take off the mask and say, this is how I feel. And the reality is every single person in this room is struggling. 
every single person in this room, whether you're not a believer, you're a young believer, you've been walking with Jesus for 15 years or 50 years, you are struggling with something. There is a battle between your spirit and your flesh. And so in light of that struggle, that common struggle that all of us have, the common need to resist sin and resist the evil one that wants to take us down, I've got three brief encouragements on how to live this out. And so the first one, uh, just, just real, just practical things. The first one is be honest with how you're actually doing. Be honest with how you're actually doing. Listen, if you're not honest with other people on how you're struggling or how you're fighting sin, we won't know how to help you. You know what I mean? Like we can't, if you just want to kind of lighten it and just act like it's okay, we're not going to be able to actually resist the evil one together unless you're honest and telling us this is how I'm, I'm actually, this is really hard right now right? Like, be honest. And, and every time in our group someone's vulnerable, it always produces more vulnerability. Someone says, man, I'm just really doing rough this week. I'm, I'm actually not doing fine. Someone else is saying, actually, me too. Actually, me too. You know, there's this, there's this commonality. So just, um, my encouragement is be honest with how you're doing. The gospel frees you to do that. The second thing is, is dig deeper um, than just how are you doing, right? Dig deeper than just asking, how are you doing? 99% of the time, um, no one's going to open up to you and confess what's going on in their life by you just passing by. How are you doing, Jim? Good, cool. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And so ask intentional questions. Listen, listen, dig deeper into their life and try to see what is actually going on in there. So ask questions, lead with vulnerability, and give them the freedom to actually admit where they're at, right? And the third and last encouragement is follow up with people. Really practically, follow up with people. I've seen how easy it is to have this beautiful vulnerability, but then no follow-up, right? So, so we'll confess sin. We'll have this sweet, beautiful, profound moment, but there's no follow-through. But to help people actually resist Satan, we need to commit to actually walking with him. We need to commit to actually following up and asking them how they're doing. And notice that Jesus is praying for us in this, and he's modeling for us, man, if we're going to walk and follow up with people, we need to actually pray for people. Like when you're saying, oh, man, I'll pray for you. Thanks, appreciate you. Like actually pray for them. Like actually follow through and get on your knees and pray for them. It's so important. Jesus leads the way. City Light, the Christian community is unlike any other community, is it not? We get to remind each other of the truth. We get to relate to one another in our struggles. We get to resist the evil one together. It's a group of people that can take off the mask, be honest, and be loved right? It's a group centered around Jesus. It's a family bought by the blood of Jesus. And I want us to constantly take advantage of this family, right? As the gathered church on Sunday mornings and the scattered church throughout the week in city groups, I want us to be that kind of community, that kind of family. Now let's look at verses 17 through 19. 17 through 19. Um, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. My second point is the purpose of in, out. Okay, so the products of in, now second point, the purpose of in, out. And so Jesus prays for us to be sanctified. Um, Sanctification, big word, simply means uh, it's basically the process where God makes us more like Jesus, right? Uh, sanctify, it literally means to be set apart, right? So that's the goal, to be set apart. And then in verse 18, Jesus says that just as he was sent into the world, he's sending us into the world, okay? Catch this. This is where the entire point of the passage comes out very clearly. We're all set apart together to be on mission together, okay? Jesus brings us in to send us 
out. All right? And then in verse 19, Jesus says he consecrate himself, uh, consecrates himself so that we may be sanctified. Kind of confusing language, um, but, but to, sanct- or to consecrate himself is to dedicate himself to the mission of God. Okay? So he's basically saying, man, I am wholly committed to your mission and your goal, God, right? to his Father. And in light of consecration and commitment to mission and sanctification, those are big words. Um, but it's easy to think of sanctification as like getting smarter, learning bigger theological words, and coming to church more regularly. But in this moment, we have to catch this. Jesus is relating sanctification to mission. Okay, Growing to be more like Jesus and growing to be more missional are inseparable. What I'm saying is if you think you're growing in relationship with Jesus, but you're not also growing in mission, you're wrong. Those two are inseparable. If you're growing to be more like Jesus, you're also growing to be more missional. This is what he is saying. I'm consecrating myself, dedicating myself to a mission so that they can be sanctified, more dedicated to the mission. This is what happens. As you sent me, Father, so I'm sending them. Jesus is showing us what it means to be committed to a mission in the world, but also set apart from the world, right? It's a, it's a hard distinction to balance, but this is what he's doing for us. And so to recap... Community is amazing. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, I just love what God does. You should be in a city group. Like, if you're not, come be in one. Connect with me or Ricky or whoever else is on staff or talk to some. I guarantee if you, like, look to the right or left or forward or back, you're probably going to run into someone that's in a city group, okay? Be in a city group. It's good to be surrounded by believers. There's so many different beautiful things that it produces, right? A family that reminds each other, a family that relates, and a family that um, resists sin. But that's not all. Jesus is reminding us that community isn't the destination of community. Community isn't the destination of community. It's bigger than that, right? I mean, if if we're really going to be a family set apart for Jesus, we better be a family that's set apart for mission, right? That's going into into the world. And uh, we, we constantly try to put city groups in front of our family. Like, you're probably tired of hearing about city groups. And if you are good, you get used to it because we'll keep pushing it. About 50% of our church is in city groups, which is awesome. That's good. But I'm not satisfied. I want more people in this family to be connected. And um, these city groups, if you're new to them, they aren't exclusively Bible studies. Like, we do study the Bible, but we also eat together, and we hang out and play games together, and we laugh together, and we get to know each other's stories. And uh, we just connect on a, as a family, and then we go on mission together. Every single city group plays out our, our four core values. So we got down, up, in, and out. Um, guess which core value is the most difficult to live out? Out. <laughs> right? Like, everyone's like, man, we love preaching the gospel and one another. We love hanging out and, and swimming and playing games, and we love just studying the Bible together. But I don't know about mission. You know, mission's hard. Like, we're just slow to be on mission. And because it's hard, right? It, it, it's really difficult. And as I've looked at the health of our church, on one level, we're doing amazing at community, but I think we're missing the point. I think we're missing the point. I think we're practicing a lot, and we're really, we got a great team, but I don't think we're often going to the game. I don't think we're actually getting in the game and playing, right? And, and um, to be really clear, Satan would love for us to just be a holy huddle. Like, Satan would love for us to just be complacent with our missional focus. Satan would love for us to just kind of sit back and say, I'm happy with the people we have in our group. 
right? He would love, don't be mistaken, Satan loves groups that get together and study the Bible and meet together, right? He just hates those groups that actually apply the Bible and go on mission together, right? He's thinking, you can study the Bible all you want, but if you're not, it's actually not applying in your life, if it's not drawing affection for Jesus, that's a win for me. Like, this is, this is where I don't want people to go. And so I'm begging you, church, we cannot settle just for meetings. We've got to strive for mission, right? We've got to strive for mission. And if we settle for just a fun meeting, we're, we're getting half of what God intended for a community. We're getting half of what he desires for us. And if I've learned anything over the last two years of leading a city group and being in the church, it's that mission will never come naturally. You will never drift towards mission, right? Like I've literally, like in our group, we've made disciples, we've multiplied, we've had a ton of fun, we've grown, but we still, my group still doesn't have a missional focus. We say that's the thing we run at. And I'm like, one of the lead pastors, you know? I'm like failing at leading you guys and leading my city because it's so difficult to have a specific mission. We've dropped the ball. And so if that's you, or if that's your group, Jesus wants to graciously guide us into what it looks like to have a more beautiful, profound view of community with a purpose. And so let's read verses 20 through 21 and see what Jesus has to say. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you catch that? It's beautiful. Jesus moves past his current disciples and prays for his future disciples. He prays for those who will believe. And what a beautiful picture of how to deeply care for those around you, but also be deeply concerned with those who are far off, right? He's saying, I'm not just praying for these only, but those who will believe in me. And then he says something shocking at the end of verse 20. He says, for those who will believe in me through their word. That's the reason community isn't the point of community. That's the reason God is trying to draw us out to mission, because he actually wants to use us to bring more people into his family, right? It's glorious that he actually wants to use us in our word to point people to the word, to Jesus. And so at City Light, we want to develop you and equip you, but we also want to send you out to be on mission, right? If, if, if a year from now we've got the same people in the room sitting in the same seats, we failed to live verse 20 out. We fail to see the actual purpose of community. We're not a holy huddle. We're not a Christian clique. We are a faithful family inviting more people into what Jesus is doing. Amen? May that be what defines our church. And back in verse 18, Jesus said, As you sent me, so I'm sending them into the world. City Light, this isn't God pushing us to begrudgingly be on mission. We have to understand that. This is Jesus reminding us of how he went on mission for us, right? He's not saying, man, I'm just really pushing these guys to be on mission. No, he's saying, here's how I went on mission for you. I want to invite you to respond, right? Jesus didn't say, hey, world, I'm up here in heaven, and it's pretty comfortable and everything like that, so just work really hard and try and get up here. No, he came down. He walked with sinners. He, he, he ate with notorious sinners. He dealt with prostitutes and hung out with them, and he was called the friend of sinners. Jesus went on mission for us. So he is not only our Savior, but he's also our example, Right? Uh, um, and, and, and his missional uh, uh, focus and what he's done for this, he's, he's not inviting us to do something that's never been done before. He's inviting us to follow his lead and respond to what he's already done for us. I've been on mission for you, and I'm sending you to be on mission for the world, right? And so you might ask, this is what I had to wrestle with this, this week, how do I balance hanging out with Christians and also non-Christians? 
Because I don't think it'd be healthy for any of us in the room to exclusively hang out with non-believers, right? Without any encouragement from believers. We'd probably be like, man, I'm just trying to work and I don't feel fed into you and I feel like I'm constantly going against grain. So how do we balance that? And it wouldn't be at all healthy for us to exclusively hang out with Christians because then we have no missional focus, right? It wouldn't be biblical or healthy. So how do we balance the two? The question becomes, how do you not be corrupted by being on mission, but also not crippled by being exclusive with your holy huddle? Here's the answer to that question. Be on mission with your holy huddle, okay? Be on mission with people, right? If you don't want to get sucked into a holy huddle or get sucked into acting like the world, go into the world with your holy huddle. Be on mission with people. There's been times where I'm by myself and I'm like, man, I'm going to impact those people. I'm going to go to that place or that bar or whatever it is, and I'm just going to be a light to people, And it's just so easy to get sucked into how they're thinking and what they're doing and how they're acting and and all those things. But I got my boy Mo with me. Different story. Game changer, right? It's like we're hanging. We're like, let's go. I got Ricky with me or Nate with me or Brett with me or my city group with me. Game changer. Like we stand firm together. But if I try and be Rambo... Night, night. You know, I'm going to fall into sin. Like, it's not going to be good. And so I need people with me to be on mission so I'm not corrupted by the people I'm going on mission for. Does that make sense? This is so important. That's why city groups are so beautiful. Because we get to be on mission together. It's not this, like, Jesus is inviting us into this, like, Rambo mission where we're, on, where we're solo. No, he's inviting us into an army of believers, of gospel, a gospel-centered family that gets to stand hand-in-hand hand and preach the gospel to a hurting world. That's what we get to do. And one of Jesus' primary purposes in this chapter is unity. In verse 21, 22, and 23, you can look. He prays that we would be one. He prays that we would be one and united. Now, when we planted this this church two years ago, I met a lady named Barb Vanderbeek. And uh, Barb is uh, around my mom's age. She um, loves board games. She is from Nebraska. She's an empty nester, and she's, like, really smart and really organized. So basically, we have nothing in common, okay? And... And, and, and so if you were just to do like a friendship equation, Barb and I would never be friends, you know? But I found out that Barb's heart yearns for more people in Lincoln, Nebraska to meet Jesus. I found out that Barb and her husband, Jerry, are joining our mission at City Light Lincoln and, and leaving the church that they've been a part of for over 20 years. And you know what God did? He instantly bonded us. We had this common mission, this common goal, this common purpose, this common desire to see more people meet Jesus in Lincoln, and we were instantly friends. Like, God just did that. And as you look around this morning, man, there are a lot of different people in this room with a lot of different hobbies and a lot of different characteristics and a lot of different talents and a lot of different backgrounds. But as we look around, we say, oh, you you care about that too? Oh, you want to see more people meet Jesus? Let's do it together right? Mission is what bonds us as a family. It can't simply be we're a family, and so let's just be friends. It's God. There's something beautiful about the bonding factor of mission, that we get to do it together. It bonds us. So my last question is, why is it so important for us to be united? Jesus, why, why does Jesus pray for us to be a family? Look at the end of verse 23. So that, purpose statement, the world may know that you sent me And love them even as you love me. City Light, real simple, missional call. We're called to tell the world two things. That God sent Jesus to save us and that God loves us. 
really practically. He's saying, you want to be one, the purpose of being one, it's so you can tell the world, they can tell the world that you sent me, that I'm sent into the world to save them, and that I love them, and that you love them, right? And I, I, that, that's the message that goes with our mission. And so think about how crazy this is, though. Like, don't overlook the gospel. Think about how crazy what Jesus is saying is, God looked at our broken, messy, sinful world and said, I want to save those people. And he said, I- I'm going to save those people. And Jesus gladly volunteered, and he left heaven, the comforts, the praise, the crown of glory to come to earth and be spit on and killed and mocked and scorned, right? Jesus never sinned, lived a life that we could never live. And then Romans 5, 8 says the unique way that God decided to display his love to you and I was to die for us while we were still sinning. That's how scandalous and beautiful this message is. That's how much he loves us, right? That he would die the death that you and I deserve, that he would pay for the sins that you and I committed. That's his love. That's how much he loves for us, loves us. That's what he came here to do. And so my plea, and the plea from this text is would, would that love, would that gospel, would that good news not only save us, but would it send us into a hurting world? right? Would we not just see Jesus as our Savior, but would we see him as our example, get to run after people that are hurting like Jesus ran after us when we were hurting? Would we not just be a community that loves each other, but a missional community that goes out and loves the world, that actually cares for people? Jesus brings us in to send us out. Let's be that kind of church. Amen? Let's pray.